0: Welcome to Review the Future. The podcast that takes an in-depth look at the impact of technology on culture. I'm Ted Cupper, I'm John Perry, and today on Review the Future we are discussing subvocal recognition and domestic robots. But first, John,
1: First, a bit of follow up, like we are in the habit of doing now at the beginning of episodes. And uh, this is in reference to an episode, uh, a few episodes back, uh, where I talked about a Steven Pinker article on AI risk that I didn't care for that much uh, and uh, was uh, pretty strong in my criticism of it. Um, one of our smart listeners has been engaging me on Facebook about that particular episode. His name is John Tillengast. And uh, I'm not going to go into all the details of our conversation, but uh, he felt that I had been unfair to Steven Pinker, that Stephen Pinker actually is more educated on this topic than I uh, believed. And uh, all I want to say about that is so far in my conversation with, with John, I wouldn't um, be moved to change the substance, particularly of anything that I said about the article. But I do want to acknowledge that there's some uh, – I, I might have overstated uh, some things. You know, Specifically, um, obviously, I don't know uh, what literature Steven Pinker has or has not read on this issue. I think uh, certainly John Tillengast feels that uh, Steven Pinker's more knowledgeable on this topic than I gave him credit for. And, of course, you know, I have no idea what he has and hasn't read uh, without talking to him. Um, and also, I always wanted to acknowledge that the article I was criticizing came from a larger work that I also haven't read. Um, I was really just dealing with this article in isolation as it was published on the internet. So in in hindsight, I you know, I think I could have been a little bit more charitable in the fact that I didn't have, you know, total context about Pinker's views. Um, but I'm also still having this conversation and it's been really interesting. And uh, one thing that John brought up is, um, something that I've heard of before, which is a book by David Deutsch called uh, The Beginning of Infinity. And I've heard this referenced a few times as a book that has a good counter-argument to this AI risk concept. And uh, it's actually a book I started reading a while back, but you know, as you sometimes uh, do, I got sidetracked and didn't quite finish it, and I did not reach that AI section. But I'm going to go uh, make a point to revisit that now and maybe do a little review of it on the show here. And I know, Ted, you expressed some interest in that as well.
0: Yeah, I'll just say uh, that I've been reading this conversation between you and uh, and John Tillinghast uh, with interest. It's like an enjoyable conversation for me to... Uh, and it's to public read. on
1: Facebook, so if people want to go look at it, it's it's there.
0: Yeah, it's there on the Review the Future page on, on Facebook, so you can find it easily. Um, but... Uh, he mentioned this book and I immediately like went and looked it up and I'm going to uh, grab myself a copy and, and read it uh, in short order because this sounds interesting to me. And that was one that um, I guess you had heard of before, John, but I had not. So thanks for that. And uh, you know, I, I don't want to sort of weigh in on the controversy between you two because I think you both made some interesting points and I hadn't read all the material. So uh, to me, it was more just uh, enlightening. But um, yeah, that book sounds really fascinating and if it it does turn out to be um a legitimate sort of counter argument to bostrom that we think would be interesting to uh to you guys i think we might do a show about it
1: absolutely yeah i'm really curious um so anyways that's i think all the follow-up for today but uh, as always uh our doors are open please uh contact us we love engaging with you guys and uh hearing when we are wrong. <laughs> yeah, especially absolutely.
0: So. or ideas for things we should do or anything you think of. It really does uh, help us to, you know, get encouraged to do the podcast. Absolutely. Um, so our, our first actual topic
1: for today is sub uh, subvocal recognition and uh, something loosely related, which is bone conduction. And uh, the reason that this topic came up is something that our listeners may have seen online recently, which is a project out of the MIT Media Lab called Alter Ego that's gotten a bunch of press recently. In fact, I I just saw a clip the other day from 60 Minutes of the the creator of, of what is a device uh, showcasing this thing. But uh, essentially, this is a device that you wear on your head. It looks like a weird, um, how would you describe it, Ted?
0: Uh, it looks like a plastic face molded, um, sort of, um, uh, yeah, I don't like know.
1: the black thing that grips the side <laughs> of your head. I mean, it's, yeah, uh... it sort of
0: grips the side of your face, um, uh, but it doesn't cover your whole face. It's a little bit like a part of a mask, I guess. Like somebody took a traditional drama mask and like sort of cut it into a third or so of its size.
1: It's definitely not ready to be worn walking down the street. Uh, it looks weird.
0: Yeah, if you think, like, Google Glass looked awkward, this is that times ten. It does not look like, I mean, Phantom of the Opera is basically what you look like <laughs> when you're wearing this thing, right? I mean, Although that's... it
1: looks, yeah. Although I will say it does look fairly lightweight and uh, not too uncomfortable for what it does, which we should talk about. So what this right. thing does is it... Um, It recognizes your sub-vocalizations. It's essentially a peripheral that interfaces with a computer. Um, And uh, sub-vocalization is something that I had heard about a lot. It shows up in some of the science fiction I read, specifically a lot of David Brin stuff has this sub-vocalization recognition technology. Um, But what sub-vocalization is, is it's something that uh, people do, for example, when they're first learning to read, and they're saying the words quietly but not audibly. and it feels like they're just, you know, when you do this, it feels like you're just saying it in your head almost because it's so silent. Um, but uh, you are actually making some very small muscle movements in your throat. And apparently you can pick up those muscle movements and decipher them as if the speech was said out loud. Is well, that your understanding how this works? Right. Out?
0: That's that's what I understand. Uh, so you are unconsciously, when you sort of think words to yourself in a in a particular way, Um, moving your muscles around. And this is a device that can, like a microphone picks up sound waves, it can pick up those vibrations of your muscles. And it has uh, sophisticated enough software that it can then make sense out of those uh, as if you had spoken uh, audio words, you know. So it's it's a way of interfacing with a natural language processing software device that you could normally speak to but it gives you uh, the added benefit of uh, privacy, essentially, because when you speak out loud, obviously uh, other people can hear you, you can be recorded by others, et cetera. Uh, but this is something that you pretty much need contact with the skin, with this weird Phantom of the Opera mask thing um, to pick up, so that makes it uh, sort of de facto more, more of a private way of interfacing with a computer.
1: Right, and its functionality uh, bears some similarity to uh, the brain-computer interfaces that we've talked about on previous episodes, but again, the technology is utterly different, right, because it's just actually picking up uh, physical muscle movements. It's not trying to read brain waves, and uh, I I expect that makes it a lot easier to do, and uh, it makes the quality of the the information uh, a lot cleaner. Um, although I've not had my hands on this thing, the, the demo on 60 minutes is basically a, a situation where he's sitting across from the interviewer and the interviewer is asking him, uh, you know, simple questions that you could, that you could Google like very like big multiplication problems or the, you know, the population of a, of a random city. <laughs> um, and he's able to get the answers by Googling, you know, silently using this sub vocalization technique. Um, and then the other half of the, the device is that it does this uh, sort of the same uh, concept but in the other direction for audio, right? So it uses bone conduction to send you audio, say, for example, the answer to your query um, in a way that's silent for other people in the room. Um, and that's just done by uh, sending vibrations that, you know, directly get to your inner ear without actually sending any sound waves through the air um, which is which is a fascinating technology as well.
0: yeah, I did a whole bunch of looking into this because I didn't know uh, that much about how this stuff actually worked. But yeah, again, it uses skin contact uh, to send vibrations directly through the bones in your uh, upper jaw and ear, uh, and those are picked up directly by your hearing apparatus, so the 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 eardrum is not being moved by. Uh, sound waves the way it is with like earbuds uh, which are just tiny speakers that you put close to your ears right Um, there's that technology is not great right now it'll probably get a lot better in the future but right now um, one of the biggest problems with it is it actually leaks so it's uh, it's weirdly less private than just a um, an earbud that has a rubber stopper around it Um, oh is that okay I, I think that that will change I think that that's eventually the idea is that this can be um, more private, but I think the current generation technology that does this is, um, is actually pretty leaky because it's basically, uh, uh, beating these sound waves out against your, um, skin. Uh, and it doesn't have like a sealed, um, uh, chamber <laughs> that it's doing. It's working. Huh. So okay. So yeah. I, Cause I, yeah, I think that that's, I think they're looking forward to a future when this is going to be the more private technology, but, um, uh, I don't think that that's actually the case with it right now, or at least that was what it seemed to be from my from my quick research. Um, well,
1: well, there are um like bone conduction headphones on the market, right. so i I, I and I haven't again tried one myself. I'm actually very curious now. Because um, this would be uh, useful actually I, I spend a lot of time uh, walking around the neighborhood with my headphones in And it would be nice to also be able to hear an incoming car or something Yeah, um, so that's what they're so great they're, for
0: because they're not actually blocking your eardrums at all. Yeah
1: Yeah, so I'm thinking of maybe maybe if I can find one that's not ex- super expensive giving one of these things a try But I did read reviews of them. I, I didn't see mention of what you're talking about although I, I could totally imagine that being the case um, some of the cons that I read in, in the reviews I was looking at were that uh, the bass was weak, the volume was a little low, and that if you actually try to crank it up to get better volume, you can actually feel start to feel the vibrations at a certain point. Um, which one of the reviewers was saying actually was kind of cool, because you could sort of feel the music in a way that was interesting, but it right, was sort also... Of
0: tickling your skin, I would imagine, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not
1: exactly what's intended. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, like you said, it's not a perfect technology, but uh, it, it has interesting implications, especially when combined with the sub vocalization tech, um, to again, basically do what looks like telepathy, right? I mean, the, the demo in the 60 minutes interview was that uh, you know the guy could just answer these questions as if he was just some genius, right? And like some sort of magic trick, right? Uh, where he just could could multiply numbers uh, in his head on the fly or, or look up stuff. Um, I think, One of the questions, like before we totally talk about the implications, one of the like used questions I have about the sub vocalization side of it, and and maybe Ted, you have some thoughts on this or not, is I know that when people sub vocalize, some of it is subconscious, right? Um, Like I know that when reading, it can be subconscious. People aren't aware they're doing it, but I expect what you, you need to be in control like, in order to use this like an interface, you kind of have to be able to control when you're doing it versus not doing it, right? Because obviously you don't want random uh, inputs into the device when you're just sub-vocalizing um, subconsciously. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, this was uh, the very thing I wanted to talk about next. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess the, the way that it is similar to telepathy, or that uh, I'm not sure how similar it is to, like, telepathy, is how voluntary is it and can you completely train yourself to sub-vocalize only when you mean to uh, and, and that's something I'm actually not sure about and I, I did look this up but I couldn't find an easy um, clear answer uh, because my understanding of what sub-vocalizing is is that it's a largely subconscious process for most of the people who are currently doing it but that doesn't mean that if you have a Subvocalizing vocalizing feedback device and you are able to practice with it that you can't learn right to turn it on and off. Um, so possibly you learn how to turn it on and off and then it becomes in a way preferable to even true telepathy because it doesn't have the major downside of leakage, <laughs> right? That That's right. commonly depicted when, you know, fantasy stories about telepathy <laughs> and stuff like that. And, um, so instead, you'd be telling people only what you want to, just like you do when you use your mouth, um, but uh, just be able to do it um, in a private way through your computer device, which you could see any number of uses for. Um, if it is somewhat leaky, then you get into a couple of problems. One is, uh, I think, easily solved by our current generation voice activated stuff which is that you have some kind of keyword so you think okay google or whatever before uh my phone is just lit up because i said okay google no i don't mean you um it's one of the downsides of that i yeah. literally i mean i knew that was going to happen but there there we go uh, so you say so some, did phrase some of listeners like that right? who weren't using headphones <laughs> right. say some phrase like that i won't go through all the other brands to torture the other listeners um and uh and then then it starts listening to your sub that will help um but then there's also the issue of like you're trusting some company to possibly get a relatively uncensored stream of your subconscious uh thoughts which um we're going to talk about this more in our, in our next discussion bit too, but just in general, if companies want people to adopt these technologies, they have to have some level of trust that, um, you know, your subconscious sub vocalizations are not being used to, um, sell you ads or, or something like that or. Sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just a continuation of these same concerns that we have today about, you know, the speakers on our phones and so on. Right. Um, and, and, uh, now I, I'm gonna venture a guess. Again, I don't know which of the two scenarios it is that uh, that we laid out here, whether it's like very subconscious or whether you can control it pretty easily. I know that there's a thing that I can do in my mind that feels more like an active sub-vocalization you know, if I want to kind of say a word, but quietly, I can do that. And that feels differently than me just thinking a word. Yeah, you can so feel I'm, your
0: throat moving a little bit or something.
1: A, a little bit. So right. I'm guessing it's like, the, and if that's the case, that that I think makes the technology pretty neat. So, um, because that does give you a fair amount of control um, if you want it. Uh, so, I, I mean, I think that would be the ideal way for it to go. But uh, why don't we just kind of unpack what maybe some of the the results of this might be. I mean if this let's assume this gets a little better, right? Let's right. say it doesn't look like a weird uh like spider on the side of your face <laughs> and it starts looking <laughs> um you it's know a big more, spider. Uh yeah but, but I, I, I don't know. I'm I'm struggling with analogies for it. But uh people can look it up. Yeah. But uh you know I, I don't actually it may be even worse. Let's say it just looks like a regular old headset maybe. I mean I guess that would be less uh less bad.
0: I feel like the it, ultimate evolution of this looks something like a current bluetooth um headset you know like a a little bigger and wonkier than a headset but maybe it's cleverly hidden in some way or it sort of hangs off of each ear rather than having the top head part or something like that
1: well i guess the the subvocalization has to be near your throat right yeah so
0: it has to get some little bit of like plastic sort of flat against either like the back of your ear or the top of your jaw i think
1: for right, but it, it's different locations for the two technologies, I would assume, right? For the bone conduction versus the uh, versus the subvocalization.
0: I think you're right. Yeah, I think the subvocalization is more like on the actual throat, and the uh, bone conduction is closer to the ear, where those you know, where there's all those little bones, the the jaw and the, the ear bones. So you could have,
1: you know, uh, two pieces that are, that are networked or talking to each other, Possibly. right. That's yeah. separate. Mm-hmm. Um, although that poses additional problems, but you could have something like a Bluetooth near your ear. And then, I, I mean, maybe like a wearable thing around your neck. I mean, maybe if you could get it into like, into, you know, the fabric of a turtleneck or something, um, that yeah. would probably be the, the least strange looking.
0: Or maybe a little stick em, you know, like a little, uh, little like circle that you just stick. By your collar might work i don't know I, I don't know enough about this technology to know what would exactly work but anyhow you can imagine them getting to a point where this is um within the realm of what people will wear outside right um it's not there yet but i think it could be and then in that yeah. case you know what what happens with it
1: well then you have this a lot more um sort of you have this immediacy of the of the technology just literally being closer to you closer to your thought process again it's not actually telepathy it's not actually in your mind but at the point that you can speak to a thing that immediately answers you back you know almost as if it's talking in your head um i do think there's like a change um in how that will feel, you know, again, not all, everything that this can do, you could already do by just pulling out your phone for the most part. Right. I mean, in a lot of cases, uh, but, uh, you know, like a long time ago we did a podcast on this is actually going way, way back. I, I think it was called uh, are we yielding to technology or wielding it? <laughs> right. Remember that one? Mm-hmm. And we, and we talked about sort of like this spectrum of things, you know, as the technology gets sort of further from your hand, you know, like the thing that you grip, um, and you know, closer to, to your face or to your brain, you know, there's sort of this um, gradual process of it starting to feel more and more like a part of you um, and less and less like an external tool that you're wielding. Um, and I think you know, this might, again, I don't know what the subjective feeling is of using this thing. I wonder if you wear this thing for weeks on end if you start to forget you're wearing it, right? If it starts to do- just feel like part of your part of your mind that you're talking to, um, I expect that would be an interesting thing to study.
0: Yeah, yeah, just accelerating this feeling that we already have that our intimate technological partners are like living beings, basically. You know, it's just it can be as simple as like talking to your VCR when you don't know how to program it, but I feel like gets just more and more intense with each generation of technology as it gets more and more um, you know easy to interact with,
1: or you know what this ties into is that uh, that like extended brain hypothesis or extended mind, uh-huh like McLuhan. Um, extended mind thesis is is that a, is, I don't know if that relates to McLuhan or I not. Feel like it um, is.
0: he's the one who is like saying that everything's an extension of your brain, basically, right? Uh,
1: so I'm looking it up and it's it's uh, the main references seem to be to uh, David Chalmers, uh, the the philosopher, oh, Andy okay. Clark.
0: Oh, sure. Okay. Uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, like I think it's more recent than McLuhan. But who knows? Right, McLuhan right. came up with plenty of things ahead well, of his time. Well, you know,
0: he was like sort of saying everything but also nothing. So, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah. he he probably came up with the slogan that describes it, but maybe didn't like follow up with a carefully argued position. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Well, okay, um, you know I know what you're talking about the Chalmers thing. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, this this really, uh, you know, gets into territory where that starts. You know, I, I mean, it it always feels like you can argue that I like that you sort of have an extended mind already with just using Google on your phone, right? If you want to take that position, um, but this starts to feel even more directly like that kind of situation.
0: Right. Well, um, if we can talk back in the context of your mind, then it's going to feel much more. I mean, I already refer to my phone and the data that it accesses as sort of my external brain, but it's, it feels like external at (laughs) what you're talking about. It'll feel like an internal brain extension. Like you, you know, it'll feel like a brain implant in a way because you will ask it a question and the answer will come in the form of a, uh, you know, a sound only your brain hears. It's essentially a thought. Um, even though the technology is not literally introducing a thought into your brain, it's very similar in feeling.
1: Now, what do we think are the, you know, the use cases for this? I mean, just let's get now practical because this is a sort of more philosophical stuff. But, um, I mean, as far as people just walking around with it casually, um, again, I, I don't know. I, I I think I'm less skeptical of the bone conduction side of it as being useful. Um, I, I think I think just because people are sort of already used to putting things like near their ear or jaw. Um, again, and I'm having a hard time imagining what this throat thing looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, there there seems to be a lot of benefits to this, you know, kind of direct and private audio. Um, the I don't know what are the uses for like the vocal control um that you know are, are that much easier than just using your hands I guess I mean I mean I'm not saying there aren't some I guess yeah. you know what it, it Go ahead. I guess it it pairs well I guess with the the augmented reality and, and this you could argue this is a form of augmented reality or it's certainly borderline um with, with the augmented reality technology that's visual, right? Like, it, it could be a good interface for working with your glasses, say. Um, again, if you can get something on the throat that looks okay. I don't know. I mean, what what is your impression of, like, how likely it is people would actually use this a lot in day-to-day use?
0: Right, right. Well, if people are adopting AR for their everyday life um, through, let's say, a pair of glasses, uh, then this would be very valuable because if everyone's seeing different stuff, then... Uh, they want to only be hearing the things that are relative to what they're seeing, right? So all of that stuff might get mixed in um, such that you only hear things that are relevant to you. And that seems like valuable, but it doesn't seem like you can't do that with earbuds, right? I mean, like the bone conduction is cool, but the, really, the only value to bone conduction over earbuds with a little bit of rubber on them is that you can still hear the things around you. Um, while also achieving privacy. So that's mostly valuable to like a pedestrian who wants to hear an emergency siren or a a car coming, uh, while they're also listening to a podcast or having a conversation. It's helpful to somebody who's in a social situation, uh, where they want to not appear rude to the people who are real time around them, but also are doing some other thing, whether it's, you know, um, doing something related to that situation or doing something unrelated to it. Uh, it seems like the most important uses of this technology, though, are just places where you would already use natural language processing and you're looking for an additional privacy add-on. So that's why I'm a little skeptical of wide adoption of this anyway. It seems like the kind of thing that's super useful to like politicians, and hosts of television programs and spies and there'll probably be like professional products that uh provide this at you know at a high cost. But I'm finding it hard to really imagine like why everyone needs this. When most I mean, things you could just yeah. do, you know, by just talking to your technology or if you want more privacy by using your hands. Um
1: I mean there's the casual deceptive uses that are you know, that are fun to talk about, many of which, you know, I think overlap with, uh, you know, again, visual AR stuff. Um, Like you forgot someone's name and you like Google it quietly, you know, at a party and then you get the answer. I mean, it's fun to talk about things like that. Of right. Course.
0: But that might just also be automatic. Like people's names might pop up under their, you know, on your AR glasses without having to talk to it necessarily. So I'm not sure you but yeah, if you're using AR glasses, I mean, a sub interface for those glasses just seems to make sense because it would just be kind of annoying to hear people, you know, ask a command and then not see <laughs> the result, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, I think that's part of the reason why people don't talk to their phones that much in front of other people, even though you can, because um, it's like a little I- weird.
1: I mean, I still think for glasses that like a tiny remote in your pocket is one of the things that's going to probably win. I mean, again, because that just seems so much easier to do, not just from a technological standpoint, but it also actually seems in many ways more practical. I mean, if you had a little tiny thing, you know, that was like a little fidget spinner size thing in your pocket, um, you know, with a wheel on it or something or like one of the really smallest iPads. Not iPads, uh, old old um, uh, iPods, gosh. Oh, man, I haven't okay. even seen one of those in a long time. You yeah, know, the, the, sure. they got really small with just, like, the wheel on it. You know, mm-hmm. something that's, like, like a tiny thing with, like, a button and, like,
0: some kind of directional I mean, I have controller. one of these already. It's the controller for my Daydream, my uh, Google VR thingy.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. So it's
0: a little Bluetooth guy with three buttons, and the top button is also a directional pad. You know, you can swipe your thumb on it, and it'll know which. it's similar to the screen of a phone. So, uh with that with a couple of buttons and a swipy thing, you can um very and it also knows direction so you can point at stuff uh inside the VR world. Uh, and that's um totally great for I had a Gear VR before this uh before the Daydream and that's the main difference between the two systems and it's a it's a big upgrade actually. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, I mean you can do a lot more hands- stuff more easily. I mean, you know, hands are hard very effective at doing stuff quickly. I mean, it's hard to improve upon that. so um I, that that still seems like the way to go. but mm-hmm. I don't, nonetheless it's it's an interesting technology, and if they can you know make it unobtrusive looking, um it gives a way to have this you know appearance of telepathy in society without having to solve this harder problem of actually reading people's minds um, through their skull. um so, it's fascinating. I mean, it, again, you can get a lot of the same results as the brain computer, computer interface stuff, but with uh, what seems like much less technological hurdles.
0: Right. It seems so, like a good intermediate technology just to just try to push that forward. I'm imagining the thing that's amusing me as, as we're talking about this is I'm imagining it replacing the teleprompter uh, for things you know political debates and things like that nature political interviews and debates
1: the bone conduction part of it in particular right just the audio the silent audio well
0: both because the silent audio is feeding you you know your speech your prepared remarks whatever and then whenever you know somebody says well my opponent you know did this X thing, then you are quickly sub What's my retort. And your people <laughs> are, are texting you, you know, the comeback, <laughs> like, and it's being read to you in your mind. And then you're saying it and it's all happening, you know, in a few seconds as if, uh, as if you were, you were that quick. Um, that, yeah, yeah. That's amazing to me. debate.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is pretty interesting. It's kind of like, uh, or like I a live mean, like
0: television a- interview, similar, similar deal.
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a way in which this is, you know, just perf- performance enhancing for situations where you have to use your your mind in a quick way, right? So, um, I mean, there's al- also cheating implications, right? I think one of the, you know, sample situations that they were trying to make this MIT device for was like for chess matches, right? To just sure. kind of like demo the technology where it's like you you ask for the the best possible move and then you get the answer, you know, without your opponent realizing that you're doing it. Um so that or like, yeah, or like political debates, but any, any situation where you have to be impressive and use your mind on the fly, you know, this kind of acts like a performance-enhancing drug, essentially. Yeah. Um, Which almost means, you know, you, you might have uh, rules around it if it's perceived as cheating, which it might even be seen as cheating in a, in a political context. I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I, it depends what the norms are uh, end up being around that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm imagining that it's done – without anyone being told at first. So then people might think it's cheating, but then at some point, I guess it would become derger or it would be banned one or the other. (laughs) Right, right, right. But I feel like, yeah, it does sort of change things. Like it, of course there's teleprompters now and there's people who prep you beforehand and there's, uh, there's even in-ear monitors, uh, for some of these things. I don't think they usually use those for political debates, but uh, I could be wrong about that. But, uh, uh, this is just, this just seems like another level of, um, real time, you know, which, which gives it a uh, considerable advantages because this is a real, you know, those are real time events basically where, you know, being able to react quickly is part of what people are looking for. I mean, the other thing, the way that you'll market this though, is for the, um, for the privacy of it, which is that, um, if you're doing this, uh, then you are not going to leak Uh, your commands out into the world nearly as much, and you're not going to leak the results of those commands out into the world nearly as much. And you could imagine a world where surveillance has gotten to the point where your phone screen and your fingers even moving on your phone screen are no longer really private the way they are now, right? Um, You can look over somebody's shoulder now, but with enough cameras in enough places, it might be that... um, somebody is still recording like kind of everything you're doing on a screen
1: sure if you didn't want someone to uh use lip reading against you uh for example now i mean again of course you're now putting a new sensor on your body that's that's tracking things that you're saying exactly like you said it depends on how much you trust the uh the, the, the manufacturer of, of the actual sub tech that you're exactly. using. Um, so there's, you know, there's that wrinkle. I mean, and, and again, it just depends who you trust and when, um, I had one more thought too about like, there's an interesting role for the person behind the scenes. Right. And cause I'm thinking now, but still about that political context. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, I think the assumption here is that you're going to be interfacing with, with a robot, right. That you ask uh, simple queries like, you know, what is X, Y, Z, and you get simple robotic answers. Um, as if you're speaking to Alexa or something, but I think, um, you know, if you had another human behind the scenes as you would, for example, in a political debate who is sitting at a terminal and uh, quickly Googling and looking things up and feeding you things to say and doing that, I mean, that's just an interesting role for a human. Um, and it's a case where you really have like two minds kind of working as one, right? Sure. And in fact, and I mean, you could have several people, but I think that that would quickly get, you know, become sort of a coordination nightmare, right? If you had multiple people in your head giving you advice.
0: Yeah. There's a scene like that in uh, Ready Player One where the the evil company that's trying to win the Ready Player One game uh, has like a room full of experts shouting answers into uh, the uh, earpiece of like their competitor who's actually in the game. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to, I forget exactly what the... You know some trivia or something but um but it's it's a funny scene precisely because it shows the limits of that sort of approach as they're all yelling he can barely hear them and you know it's getting confused and everything um so that's kind of a yeah that's an example of that
1: all right. Well, um, l- let's move off of this topic. I think maybe it's time. Um, yeah. Unless you had anything else to say?
0: No. I think that's it. It's an interesting tech, but I think we've got some time before we're going to be, you know, seeing big impacts from subvocalization. Uh, but I do want to talk about something else, which has uh, been making the the rounds in the sort of uh, uh, future studies news recently. Which is, um, I guess, Amazon has got a secret project that recently got leaked uh, out called Vesta that is a home robotics project. So this is maybe going to be like the biggest entry into home robotics since the Roomba came out, you know, quite some time ago. We haven't seen a ton of really progress in home robotics since then. And, and John and I, we have talked about robotics, uh, home robotics on the podcast before, but I wanted to just sort of check in and, and talk about a few specific things that, uh, came to mind as I was reading about, um, about this new project. Uh, there's no details on the new project yet. So we don't know what Amazon is cooking up. We're just going to be wildly speculating here about what the next generation is. Yeah, there's of... no
1: even, um, you know, sketchy images, right? No, at all of no, this thing yet. No okay.
0: leaks, no uh, leaked images. No, it's just a, a, a code name of a project. We don't know how many products it is or, or what they'll do. So this is just wild speculation at this point, not about Amazon in particular, but just about the next generation of, of home robots and, and will we have them and what will they do? And, and you know, the big thing I think is what, what kind of, um, robots do you think we'll even have in the home? Of course, the traditional image is like Rosie from the Jetsons, right? It's like, yes. an Android yes. that, um, recreates all of the, uh, services of like a housekeeper or maid, like
1: a robo nanny,
0: a robo nanny. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, I'm not sure about. I think there's. uh, it's been pretty well uh, covered. A lot of different people have mentioned why that probably won't happen in short order. Uh, It may not happen ever. The human form may just not be the right form to try to make robots in. It's a good form for animals that are trying to stay alive and do a lot of other things, but may not be so useful. Um, And it also seems very expensive to build something that large uh, and just being unnecessary.
1: I think there's a distinction in terms of what people might want to use the robots for. Right. So I think humanoid robots make a lot of sense for social purposes. I mean, if what you want is a robot to keep you company. Right.
0: Right. Or to raise your kids. Right. Right. Yeah. uh, Well, sure. And if it's uh, a robo nanny we're talking about. Right. So that's like, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah.
1: Well, no, no. But what I mean is, like, it, raising your kids already is, is is the other category that I was going to get to, right? Because right. I mean, again, if you if you if you have a task to be done, right, um, and a robot can do it, you don't necessarily need the anthropomorphic qualities to get it done, right? Right. Now, if the task you want done though is something that by definition needs a human, like I want to simulate a human friend for myself, right? Or I want to simulate a human sexual partner or whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? That's like different. So I, I expect we'll see both. I'm just not sure that the two are going to overlap very much. You know, there's the people that want, you know, the functions of a robo nanny that, you know, cooks and cleans and um, keeps an eye on their kids for them, uh, you know, may not be the same people that, you know, want a, you know, a fake friend, right? Or a robo friend. I shouldn't say fake, uh, you know, but uh, right, right. I mean, right. Does, can you imagine those things basically diverging and and being two separate things that we'll see.
0: Well, like the cooking and the cleaning and the monitoring definitely feel to me like, you know, um, separate tasks. Um, the, yeah, the part of raising kids that maybe feels like sort of social, you know, the part where you want the kid to bond to something would be similar to the, uh, to the, the robo friend or the robo lover. Yeah. Like, but there's a know.
1: creepiness element that I don't see what the way around is. Right. I mean, I don't see cultural norm shifting to where it's like, what I'm going to do is get my child, a robo friend to keep them company. Um, <laughs> right. And I need it to look like a person so that the child thinks it's a person. Cause that's, I, you know, maybe, I mean, you know, I mean I, I'm just
0: saying, I feel like there's similar creepiness around that same Concept if it's a person, and yet, au pairs and nannies are, you know, very significant things in the world. So I think there's, I I hear what you're saying, but I think there are some people. Who well, might I don't not think there's it as the much
1: creepiness. Way. It's not the same creepiness with an actual person. I mean, the creepiness I'm talking about is is the, is the sort of uncanny valley creepiness of it, um, and and not just that the fact that you don't, you know, I mean, ultimately any any robot is you know beholden to its programming. So. I mean, so as a human, but I mean, it's like we have feel like we have some insight into, you know, how other humans work because they're like us, you know. And with right. a robot, it's not the case. Right. Um, it's easy to ascribe a robot more sinister motives, or I would think that it would be. Right. Um So I, I, I don't know. I, I, just wanted to draw that distinction because, yeah, I, I don't, I don't not even sure that there would be much demand, even if it was practical, um, to to give things, a human form when all they're supposed to do is help you out around the house.
0: Right. I agree with that. And then uh, additionally, and we've discussed this a little bit before, but um, the, the task like cleaning a house is actually a super complex task that com- is a combination of many subtasks, uh, none of which are necessarily very intellectually ch- challenging, but they uh, contain a lot of different contexts and they contain a lot of uh, weird decision-making, like when is something clean or when is something tidy. Um, and it, it, it seems unlikely to me that like cleaning the whole house as a task is ever going to be um, automated as such. Instead, there'll be many um, smaller tasks that get automated one at a time. And the thing that I wanted to talk about that um, occurred to me as I was thinking about this today is uh, we've talked about this Buckminster Fuller idea of ephemeralization, which is the process by which you do more and more with less and less until you can do everything with nothing. And mm-hmm. we've talked about that with regard to computers, right, which obviously are like, you know, eating the world. And I, I just thought um, home gadget ephemeralization is like a topic that we have not discussed. Like there are all these machines both computerized and electrical, in your house already that do things for you to help you clean, to help you cook, to help you um, care for yourself and for the other people in your house, to help you do your uh, hygienic uh, routine, Uh, your toaster, your microwave, your um, toothbrush, your vacuum cleaner, um, your refrigerator, and uh we've of course been experiencing this Internet of things sort of thing where uh, new versions of these uh, are getting more and more computerized with each generation. But uh, might we see a kind of home gadget ephemeralization where you get a couple of home robots that start to replace and absorb all of the functions of these things. So uh, something that can, you know, keep track of all the food in your house, but also cook it for you. uh, If the cooking is like simple, like toasting microwaving, that sort of thing. And um, you know, move it from the refrigerator part to the microwave part, warm it up, check if it's warm enough and then alert you Mm. Um, that kind of thing. So that's a kind of automation. That's, that's not a humanoid um, cooking. It's just a more integrated device with more computing power that can do more things sort of like the way that you used to have to have both a stereo and a game console. Now you don't need to have those two things. You can just have a phone and it does both. Maybe you could have like a kitchen robot that does a whole bunch of things regarding food and cleanup. You could have maybe a bathroom bot that does a whole bunch of hygienic tasks for you. Um, That sort of thing. So this is a
1: fascinating idea. When you first brought it up, I was like, Oh man, that's so difficult, though, right? I mean, because again, the things that we've seen ephemeralized tend to be some form of information, right? Like right. whether it's audio information in the form of music, or it's uh, mathematical information in the form of a calculator, or uh, communications in the form of a telephone. Yeah. Um. And and you know, when we talk about things around the kitchen, the house, the bathroom, whatever, it's it's all much more physical. Um. But as you were talking, I was starting to think of like a couple of ways that you know maybe you could have something like this. I mean, I guess a lot of um, a fair amount of stuff in the kitchen is could be boiled down to temperature-controlled compartments, right? Yep. Of various <laughs> kinds. Yep. Like the oven, the toaster, the fridge, um, the freezer, etc. cetera, yep. Right. So you could have some sort of modular compartmental device that can, you know, precisely control the temperature of its various compartments and shift things between it, um, that would be pretty cool. Yep. Uh, I, I, I don't know how practical that is, but I mean, I, I there does, do seem to be advantages if you had that set up. I mean, it's an interest, really interesting idea. Well, and
0: there are still a lot of things in the home that have to do with information and management of time. So, you know, things that are scheduling based, uh, uh, cook times and mm-hmm. um, uh, expiration dates and um, reorder amounts and things like that can be hand- handled by a computer as can things that are information in like recipes and uh, um, you know, that sort of thing uh, r- you know, timing reminders for routine things that you do, etc. So I think you could have some, automated sort of coordination of household tasks, you know, even now. um, And you could see that getting a little better. But yeah, I think you're right that a lot of the things in the house that um, you might get help with from a uh, a human service person um, are, they seem pretty hard to automate. Honestly, they seem like they are these uh, physical and various uh, kinds of kinds of things. Uh, Now, there's another category that I think is really promising that maybe Amazon is looking into this. It wouldn't shock me if they were. Uh, You and I wrote about uh, some of this in our um, comic Let Go that we're uh, constantly talking about. Um, But uh, these are like home autonomous vehicles is this category. So the idea Mm -hmm. would be not so much robots of the human variety, but uh, something more like a self-driving car or a drone, but built for the home, built on the scale of the home. So a really obvious example would be an auto dolly, right? So just like you have a a dolly or a hand truck at your house to move heavy objects, uh, this would just be a robotic version of that. It could grab your Amazon packages from the curb and drive them to your front door and then maybe lift them up on a little uh, pneumatic tray to your hand level. Um, It could, you know, um, move things around your house for you. Uh, If you want to rearrange your furniture and you had a bunch of these things, they could get under the furniture and jack it up from underneath and then move it for you. And maybe you're just like controlling it with a touchscreen device or something and it's whisking your couch uh, from one side of the room to the other. Uh, You could see these being really Useful, valuable things for people to move things in their house. Um, sure,
1: like a weight bearing, uh, you know, mobile device on the floor. I mean, basically a, a super Roomba, right? I mean, one yeah. of the functions, of course, it could do is the same thing the Roomba does, which is, you know, vacuum up dust and things. Sure. Um, uh, but yeah, in addition, I mean, if it could bear weight, it could move things for you. Um, it could act as a scale if you stand on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it could move you around if you're not uh, mobile, right? If uh, if that's something you need help with. Right. Um, I guess it could, you know, it could obviously have speakers on it. Um, maybe it could uh, have some kind of projection system or hologram system for, you know, showing you uh, visual content as well. Um, and and do that in any room of your house by sort of like moving around to the location you want. Right, right. Um, It could be
0: basically just like an echo that follows you so that you always have one where you are, basically. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so that's, okay. So we've got the... um,
0: So the auto dolly is one idea of a home AV, but I just wanted to go over two others that I thought of that I think are kind of interesting. Uh, Another home AV could be, and you were saying it could move you if you have mobility problems. Now, a dolly might be unsafe to move somebody around on. With mobility problems, um, but you could have an autonomous wheelchair, right? We already have wheelchairs that people can drive themselves, electric wheelchairs. But if you had one that had a self-driving mode, then uh, it would be possible for people to um, get more mobility. So, of course, it would also be manually drivable. But there, you would be able to say to it, "Car, uh, you know, chair, take me to the kitchen," and it would know your house well enough to just wheel you to the kitchen. So that you don't have to think about it, it you could maybe even say to it, you know, uh, "Chair, wheel me to the store," and it'll take you out of your house and use Google Maps to then get you to the store, right? Um, that's um, that's something that could be really valuable for people with mobility issues. Um, and then a third idea I had for this was uh, a home AV baby chair. So you know how they have these baby chairs that are. I don't know the specific name of them. I'm not a parent, but, uh, they have these baby chairs that have like stuff in them and they're meant to keep the baby safe and kind of in an upright position, mm-hmm. uh, and amused. Like a lot of it has to do with the stuff will spin around or it, you know, it's exciting to a baby in some way and uh, There's
1: different attachments for these things. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. So I know I'm describing this poorly, but people with children will know what I'm talking about. It keeps your baby distracted so that you can do your life. Um, while your baby uh, exists and is safe and is amused. You can tell that you don't have kids. Yeah. So talking about it. <laughs> I just, the whole thing so is... You can
1: do your life while your baby
0: exists. <laughs> I mean, because otherwise you're caring for the damn baby all the time. or So sure, it seems yeah. to me. I don't know. I don't know what, what, makes, don't know what I'm talking about here. Sense. So yeah. anyhow, my point is just an autonomous one of those that can uh, be told uh, maybe when you set it up a safe zone and then uh, can do all kinds of exciting things things to distract the baby. It can maybe even have like a, uh, cry detector on it, right? Where the baby gets bored, baby starts crying. It starts working harder, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, pulls out the shinier baubles, or maybe even has like a, a bottle in it that it can feed your baby or who knows. So I, I was thinking you could get something that, you know, this isn't going to replace parents or, or even nannies, but it would be just a better version of a product we already have, to um, help people raise their kids and and get some peace, <laughs> I guess. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the
1: super augmented baby chair, right? Basically, yeah. That was, yeah so yeah. that was
0: another idea I had for a for a robot. Um, but uh, we talked about how uh, you know really complicated tasks like clean the whole house just seem like maybe like they're not going to happen very soon. Uh, but the other thing that uh, they're automating is they're automating a lot of butler tasks, right? So this is what. I mean, Siri and all those already do a lot of this because uh, most of these tests are voice. A lot of the things you would if you had a real butler, you might just say, like, Jeeves, could you, you know, um, get me the newspaper or, you know, could you tell me if it's going to rain today or whatever? And they they already do a lot of that. Um, you know, I don't know if the robots like they. I saw one article that said robots are going to fold your clothes, you know. I can see a dryer might fold your clothes. And you might say, well, that dryer has a computer in it, so it's a robot. But I'm very skeptical we're going to have, like, a machine that rolls around the house so that one of the things it does is, like, take clothes out of a dryer and fold them. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, at some point, though, um, you know, the only way to get, like, a really general-purpose home robot— is to make a thing that maybe doesn't look like a person, but, you know, essentially has arms and can run any kind of software program that app developers write for it. So, I mean, I, that doesn't sound to me terribly soon, but, uh, I mean, I could I mean, I mean, could imagine it the way that you're describing, where it's like built, it's like a super dryer, right? And it's right. built in. Yeah, um, it's but a I, computer I, dryer. <laughs> but I could imagine... Um, and I guess it maybe this is you know I mean it's worth trying to maybe venture some guesses as to what Amazon actually is thinking here. Mm-hmm. Um but I guess like like a robot arm, right? Um if you have a robot arm and you have one of these, you know, you know automated vehicle things, you know, it's basically like a thing that can roll around your house and knows where it is and can grip and manipulate things and mm-hmm. then just and then it basically just runs whatever software is on it. Sure. You know, so it's it's as good as the program you write for it. Um and it obviously has to have sight, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know, maybe maybe something like that could it would have the potential to fold close. and if someone wrote good enough software for it, and if it you know it it also could learn right on the fly. you know if if people are are if users of of this thing, you know, maybe there's test users and stuff like in an early wave that are that are gathering tons of data and and correcting the thing when it folds badly, um, you know, maybe it can learn on the fly. I mean, this is this is one way things could go. I'm just, you know, sketching it out. But I I, I, I share your general skepticism.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, it's not impossible, but I, I'm a little skeptical that that's going to be the direction. Um, I was thinking another thing that a home robot might be good for is like as we connect more things in our houses, as we uh, move toward a sort of Internet of Things home, uh it could manage that whole connected space so anytime something goes bad uh, a light bulb goes out or wiring is bad in one part of the house or there's some alert uh that some other component is failing in some way it could of course at minimum just let you know which would be helpful because right now that stuff's often opaque right um a light bulb burning out is not opaque, but some some sometimes when there's a problem in the house, it's hard to figure out even what's wrong, right? So it could help you with that. And then if it's actually got a robot arm and can move around the house and has, is, is facile enough, then it could potentially even do that management work for you, right? So if it's able to be a kind of handyman, like it can find the bad light bulb, extend its arm up, unscrew the light bulb, put the new light bulb in, and then you don't even have to worry about it. That is really valuable if <laughs> it will actually do that. I, I don't know if that's believ- like believable. But if you could do that, I think that could really um, make a lot of people's lives better. Can it also kill mice and bugs for you? Can it serve sort of the same functions as a cat? I mean, I don't see any reason why it can't at the very least lay and then pick up. Uh, mouse traps and the and the like, right? I mean, well, that
1: that's that's your way into the uh, the horror sci fi version of this, right? Because they, <laughs> they install extermination technology for the purpose of killing vermin, right? And later, yeah. that gets turned against the
0: masters. Later, they decide humans are vermin due to some programming glitch or something, right? It writes itself, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> and then the last thing I wrote down in my notes about this, which we mentioned with the uh, subvocal stuff too, is that if this is really an echo that rolls around your house and basically makes sure it can hear every single word you say, which is my guess of what the, uh, what the first gen Amazon robot will be, who knows if that's right. Um, then it has the same issue that we were discussing when you, you know, when you get privacy by uh, using sub vocalization, you have to at least trust the company providing you with the sub vocalization tech. And they are just going to need a lot of trust for this. I mean, to put, something in your house that hears everything you say, that can see you doing your most intimate things, um, that can roll around freely in your house, that has, you know, the kind of free reign that a child or a dog has. Um, It's, uh, people are going to need, in order to get into that, people are going to need to really trust the vendors. And I think, given how I've seen people react to like the, the little speaker in my house that listens, you know, I have friends who come over and uh, freak out and immediately insist that I turn it off um, because they're like afraid of, I don't know, being spied on or something. Uh, it just seems um, they're going to have to work really hard to get the trust. Uh, that yeah. They
1: I, I mean, I'm of two minds on this. I guess, you know, I, I definitely have encountered the people that are worried about being spied on. I mean, and we touched on this a little bit last episode, Um, and, uh, there's definitely a lot of handwriting about this right now. Um, I guess I'm not sure, you know, how strong that movement is in the culture at the end of the day, if it's strong enough to, you know, put much pressure on these companies, Mm -hmm. I think, You know, I mean, there's always the potential for one of these scandals, right? For one of these things that really hurts a company's PR, right? you know, where there's like just the wrong news story comes out that they listen to somebody and use their data in an inappropriate way that really creeps everybody out and it really hurts the company's bottom line. So, you know, they got to guard at least against that thing happening, Right. right? Right. But I, I don't know how much most people I, and again, I have met the people who do, but I don't know how much most people really truly care Versus just say they are,
0: they care, right? You know, like that they <laughs> yeah, care enough to enough.
1: not use it if it's extremely
0: useful. Yeah, I, I, I think that's fair enough. I, I think that they are going to need to... This will, I think, require a little bit more trust than we currently give those companies. But yeah, I think you're right that... Uh, if it's useful enough, and I'm not sure it will be, <laughs> have, well, that's
1: the thing, too, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> if, but if it is, then I think it, the, the usefulness will win, as it usually does. Uh, certainly, that's the way I look at it, and I think um, at least a, a number of people look at it that way. But yeah. Anyway, that's uh, all I really wanted to cover on on domestic robotics. I think it's a really fascinating place, and it'd be really interesting to see, you know, in the next few years if this becomes um, you know, like a cell phone or, or more like a, uh, you know, an Apple watch or something, you know, is it something like kind of novelty that some people love, but most people will never have, or is it something that's more like, you know, uh, a brand new product category that is in everyone's house and is, you know, changing the way we do everything every day. Uh, and I, I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited to, to see.
1: Now, b- before we totally close this topic, mm-hmm. can we put a prediction or two on the line about what this Amazon thing is actually going to look like? <laughs> I mean,
0: yeah, let's do it. I think we have a high likelihood of being wrong, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's the whole fun of yeah, it. Uh, I have low confidence, but yeah, let's do it.
1: I mean, so obviously it'll have
0: all the features of, of an Alexa, right? Oh yeah, and it will definitely and it, have an Alexa built into it for sure.
1: And I, I, I would go with what you said earlier, which is it will probably be mobile as the biggest single difference, right? Yes. It'll have have wheels.
0: Yeah, Um, either Roomba style or like, you know, some kind of wheels. Yeah, AV. So it it could literally, and that wouldn't be a bad prediction to just say
1: it's literally just a mobile Alexa. Yeah. But I wonder if it would also have, you know, at least one other feature so that they can say, it's not just a mobile Alexa, you know? Right. Like it just does the Roomba thing of, you know, vacuuming the floor. Well, that's what I was
0: going to say. If they want to just take existing commodity features and put them together, a Roomba plus Alexa is the obvious choice, right? It's like it vacuums the floor, it plays music, and it allows you to, uh, you know, get information and buy things uh, through Alexa. Um, yeah, because I don't can't think of anything else that would be an easy...
1: I mean, again, if they made it, you know, big enough to like a like a like a wide enough platform, you know, that Mm -hmm. you could stand on it safely and it could act as a digital scale or that it could, you know, move small things. That's like. I could maybe see it going that far, but I, I'm going to say like that's the upper end and the lower end is is just uh, Roomba plus Alexa. Somewhere in that ballpark, I feel, sounds right.
0: Yeah, me. I think that's right. It's uh, Roomba Alexa. All right,
1: well, I, I, why don't, what, yeah, why don't we end it there? We, we, made, our, we made our prediction. Yeah. Um, I do want to mention one more time that uh, our comic, which is upcoming, right? right. This is the uh, the sci-fi graphic novel about a family that we put on Kickstarter quite a while ago now. Uh, but there's actually going to see a real release uh, upcoming. Um, but
0: you can uh, pre-order it if you go to letgocomic.com. Yeah, we'll have an official release date for you guys soon. We don't know exactly what it'll be, but it'll be sometime this summer. Uh, and in the meantime, we're
1: going to keep putting out these uh, these quick episodes. Uh, let us know if you are enjoying them. Uh, we got some positive feedback early on, but it'd be, uh, again, it's it's nice to hear, um, you know, what you like that we're doing and what you don't like. So
0: Yeah, absolutely. We really appreciate it. Uh, until next time, I'm Ted Kuppert. I'm John Perry, and you've been listening to Review the Future. To subscribe or leave a comment on this episode, please visit reviewthefuture.com. You can also send emails to feedback at reviewthefuture.com. Thanks for listening.